pelvis. Dear young rocker, you can spend your whole life wondering, obsessing over the what ifs. What if Kyle and I had gone to see the thermal show at the masquerade downtown instead of that last minute party? What would have happened? What if I hadn't left school early that day on my bike or waited just five more minutes to leave? Where would I be now? I refuse to let any moment in my life become some lingering football trophy on my wall. There's no point thinking back to what ifs because all the things that have happened to you shape you into the person you are today. And while you might not appreciate that all the time, no matter the circumstances, it's still you. There are things in this world we will never understand. Moments that will pass us by like songs we'll never hear. But that doesn't mean they didn't happen or they aren't real. So this is your sign to listen because you may never get another chance. Young Rocker. I moved to Atlanta because rent was cheap. Most houses were boarded up on our street, all but three. Drug dealers had shot out all the streetlights and we all got our tires slashed one night. I found a room for $250 a month, everything included, but I ended up bouncing from house to house as the heroin epidemic swept through the city like a plague. I was dodging the rock and roll lifestyle some of our closest friends were falling victim to, and it was sad to watch. Now, at 21, I was determined to make up all the time I'd lost throughout the years and do all the things I'd ever wanted to do my entire life. I started taking tap and ballet classes. I started art school concentrating in ceramic figurative sculpture. I started playing my harp around town I started showing artwork in galleries. I even started baking wedding cakes. It was a dream. Literally anything I ever wanted to do, I just did it. And I was doing everything I'd ever dreamed of. I went to school during the day, showed work in museums at night, then would go play a harp show. And then before the band fell apart, headline a show with Curio Museum. I worked as a ceramic studio assistant at the college nights and in between classes. But despite all of that, there was still this internal dread. What would happen to the ghost beside me once I turned 22? Once I outlived Kyle? What would happen to me? I thought the world would implode. I thought my heart would suddenly just stop. Our universes, now separated, unable to handle the overlapping timelines, would somehow explode ending my life, or maybe the entire world, to take me back to wherever he was, where I was meant to be, right next to him. 
But then I turned 22 and nothing happened. The world didn't fall out of orbit. My heart didn't stop. For the first time, my life was just mine. I wasn't living in anyone's shadow and it felt like I was allowed to just be happy. And I was. I was the happiest I'd ever been in my entire life. It felt like for the first time, I had it all. I had myself and I knew who I was and what I wanted and was working harder than ever. I had everything I'd ever dreamed of. Until one year later, two months after my 23rd birthday, the accident that took it all away again. The album I made, which I called Weekday Weekend, would be what brought me back, back to who I was, once again, through music. Music was always the thing that brought me back. Music brought me back after Kyle died. It brought me to New York, and it brought me back to Atlanta. It always took me where I was meant to be. After the first few months of amnesia, I was finally back to doing most things by winter. And by spring, I could do almost everything again. Doing laundry, paying bills, going to art school, slowly but surely thriving again. Then other things started to change. Something else started to happen. As embarrassing as it sounds, my mom had gotten me a Brazilian bikini wax gift card for Christmas, and I went to try it out. And that was the first thing that felt off. <laughs> oh <my> God. <laughs> I laughed the entire time. I was told it would hurt, but it didn't. It tickled endlessly. The woman sat there staring at me like I was crazy. I thought this would hurt. It feels like someone's tickling me. But when I went back five months later, right before summer, I noticed something else. This time, it hurt a lot. Ow, fuck! Pain like I'd never experienced before. I didn't think much of it at the time and told myself I was probably never doing that again anyways. And that the last time was probably just some weird first-time fluke. But then, other random things started to change, too. I wasn't a good baker anymore, but I became a better cook. And I was now craving foods I'd never craved before. Scotch bonnet peppers and vindaloo. Anything extremely spicy. Before the accident, I had never even put pepper on my food because I didn't like it. And now... All I wanted were the hottest foods available to me. Now that I had totally new preferences and tastes, and I was apparently feeling pain again, things started to really change. Even Nate smelled different to me now. And I started having memories again. Trying to pull apart the mess, the tangled threads that were now the mystery of my life. But the thing about threads is, once you start to pull at them, the seams come undone and everything starts falling apart, finally exposing the truth of what's inside. 
Don't you remember, Nadia? We already had this fight. Wait, what? I told you it was just a mistake. I lied to you about breaking up with my girlfriend. We were still together when this all started. It's just a small oversight. It doesn't matter. We already had this fight. Don't you remember? Besides, it was what was meant to happen. We were meant to be together. You are my soulmate. All of this, the amnesia, the accident, we wouldn't be together if it didn't happen. It was fate. We need each other. This is what was meant to be. Uh, yeah, y you're right. It was fate. And then I started to piece more and more together. I'm the only one that's truly been here. No one believes you. Your friends don't believe you, and your mom. You're literally a fucking orphan, Nadia. She hasn't been here at all. She hasn't checked on you or been here or taken you to any appointments. She has literally bailed and left you to fend for yourself. Nadia, I'm the one who believes you. I've been the one who's been here, taking care of you, defending you when anyone says you're faking it. I'm the one here protecting you. It seemed true. I saw his point. He had been there and she hadn't. I saw him all the time, but not her. So after he said that, I cut my mom out of my life. I cut contact with anyone else who didn't believe me, or anyone I thought didn't believe me, or anyone I thought wasn't there. Soon the only person in my life was pretty much Nate. A few weeks later, I caught something else. As we were in the car and drove by a hospital, I started to remember even more. So yeah, back when I was at Tech, we did a rotation at the hospital right there. And there's a plaque on the wall with my name on it honoring the research I did. Wait, but didn't you tell my mom you went to Emory for grad school? You told me you went to Tech. Yeah, yeah, they were uh, joint programs. I was dual enrolled. And I believed him at first. But then a few weeks later, I kept processing what he said to me and something else just clicked. Wait, what do you mean dual enrolled? I've never heard of a joint master's program. It was something I should have caught immediately. Okay, so I actually applied to Emory and didn't get in. So I went to tech and then it really wasn't for me. So I dropped out. It's super embarrassing and I'm mortified and feel like a failure, but it just wasn't my thing. Please, I don't want to talk about it again. I'm just so embarrassed about the entire thing. I'm just so ashamed I had to drop out. But what about your job out of college? The lab shut down. I really don't want to talk about it. I just showed up to work one day and it was closed. I'm really embarrassed about the entire thing, Nadia. Shamed into silence, I didn't want to embarrass him any further or hurt his feelings. More and more things started to happen like this. But more and more, little things seemed to not add up 
or make any sense. So I did the one thing as a girl you're never supposed to do. I looked through his phone. Something just didn't feel right. Something was confusing and not making sense. I saw that he was texting his ex-girlfriend, which didn't bother me, but it was as if they were friends and it didn't make any sense. If he cheated on her, how were they friends if he was the person who lied and made a mistake in the situation? I also saw that he had multiple dating site accounts. Plenty of Fish, Ashley Madison, Christian Mingle, and J-Date. Now, nothing was making sense. Don't you remember? We had this fight before. I came clean to my girlfriend that I was cheating on her with you, even though nothing had happened yet between us. But if you cheated on her, why would she still be talking to you? Like your best friends? In that moment, I realized everyone probably hated me for something I wasn't even aware was happening. And that's when I dropped out of Georgia Tech and went to Emory. Wait, what? Last time you told me the opposite. No, I didn't. Yes, you did. A few weeks and two big fights later, I realized I couldn't take it anymore. And I called him and told him we had a talk at my house. If you actually want to be with me, I need you to sit down right there, not on my bed or next to me, in front of me, and tell me every single lie you ever told me. Because shit isn't adding up, and I'm going to leave you if you don't tell me the truth. Okay. Well, you know how I said I went to grad school, and then I said I dropped out? Yeah. Well, I didn't go. Like you got in, but didn't go? Like you said, right? No, I didn't even apply to grad school. Okay, anything else? And remember how I told you my family was half Jewish? Yeah, just like mine. Well, they aren't. Okay. And remember how I told you I was scouted in high school to play baseball in college and was offered a scholarship, but I threw my shoulder out right before a big game and then got super depressed, had to quit baseball, started smoking weed, gained a lot of weight before graduation. Yeah, did you not get offered a scholarship? Well, I never played baseball. That was also a lie. I started to become dizzy. And those dating sites, I only have them for attention. I like the messages. I never message anyone or reply back. I just like having them. They make me feel important. This confessional went on for hours. And the sheer psychological whiplash I was getting, I sat in shock, unsure what to do. I felt like I was in some sort of horror film. On one hand, I don't know if I could have gotten through any of this alone without someone loving me 
unconditionally through it. Having Nate there helped me recover and be who I was, right? On the other hand, Nate worked 70-hour work weeks. How much was he actually here? What should I do? It was then that I realized all the lies. I'd been through this before. Well, my mother had. I thought about how DNA is DNA, whether you speak to your mother or not. I was making all the same mistakes my mother made. Sometimes we do everything in our power to break cycles. Cycles within ourselves, cycles from our environments. I tried everything in my power not to turn out like my mother. But I too, for whatever reason, Kyle's death or not, was also a party girl at 19. Just for different reasons. I did straighten up by 20, just like my mother did. But I did it for myself. Technically, she did it for me too. And I also had been unknowingly living with someone whose entire identity to me was a lie. A little ahead of schedule at 23. I wasn't 33 like my mother had been. How did I fall for such blatant lies? An almost endless amount of lies. And who knew what else he was lying about? But sometimes DNA is just DNA. And I love my mother. She tried her absolute best and worked so hard but this is one of the things I wish I didn't inherit. Her willingness to forgive. But I did. I took Nate back, just like she took her lying boyfriend back. I actually didn't have a lot of my mother's traits, almost none. But the one thing I did have like her was her resilience, her strength, and eventually the ability to leave him. I took Nate back. I figured everyone probably already hates me for what I did anyways. I now had no family, wasn't talking to most of my friends. I was completely isolated. And I thought Nate was the only one who could understand. Because he'd seen it. He'd been here. I owed it to him to stay. And one day, it hit me. I had helped him with his new apartment. I had set up a life for him. I had picked out everything in his apartment, waited on landlords and gas companies, and then he moved back in with me a few months later. And I was doing everything myself, paying all the bills, caring for our new dog, which was his idea, to bring us closer together after the lies, all on my own. I was back in art school, back to showing work in museums, back to working, and was also serving on the student judicial board again. I was doing everything I once loved. Well, almost everything. 
I was back in art school and I noticed it was different. The art that I was making was different. I thought about things differently. I don't know if it was the amount of time I'd spent isolated from others or what, but I felt like I thought differently now, in a better way almost. The work I was making was stronger. The pieces were getting shown more. I started winning more and more awards than I ever had before for my work. But as happy as I was to be back into art, making an entirely new body of work, I was also doing the shopping, the chores, the cooking, the cleaning, and taking almost a full workload of classes and working multiple jobs. I was doing everything. And Nate was still lying. I felt like I was the maid, the mother, the breadwinner, the house cleaner. I was in school full time and working five jobs. And aside from him smelling completely different to me now, it just wasn't working. And so I tried to leave him. No, no, you need me. You need me. Need you? No, I don't need anyone. And then it hit me. Look around. I'm back in school. I drive myself across town to work. I'm nannying for three different people, dog walking on my way to and from school. I started building large sculptures the size of, well, me. I don't need anyone. That stubbornness and resilience and confidence, I got that from my mother. And I definitely learned from her if a man ever lies, walk away. And I finally listened. Once again, I was going to leave everything I knew. Nate. And I missed the thing I knew and loved most, but now felt like I'd never known at all. Music. I missed music. I longed for pieces of myself. I wasn't living in Kyle's shadow anymore. Now I was just living in mine. And I was itching to get back to music. Itching to return to my one true love. I sat on my couch that night after our fight, looking around the room at all the pieces of my old life. I wish I had music now. It was always the thing that was actually there for me. I looked at the beer bottle on my bookshelf. It was how Julian paid me for my first big Atlanta show when I was 14, playing with my first band, Nadia Marie, the archaeologist. A glass bottle of Newcastle, like a trophy. A trophy of my first major show that my mom would let me play the year I was grounded. I remembered how, at 14, all I ever wanted was to live here, in Atlanta, and play music, and... I finally had it. Next, I looked over at the folded NMMV banner from the last Nadia Marie and the Valentine's show before I moved to New York. I thought about all the things that I'd been through, all the places I'd been that led me right here. Staring at the perfectly broken in half wooden tambourine pieces from Curio Museum, one of the solid tambourines I'd break on my leg at each show. Pieces that 
notes out on my shelf. And then I pulled out my iPad. Maybe music could be there for me now. Maybe it could tell me what to do. I held the iPad like shaking some sort of giant magic eight ball, trying to make music again, trying to get answers, trying to wish myself back to who I was before all of this. I opened up GarageBand and hit the keyboard, trying to trigger a sound that would inspire some sort of answer or vision. But there was nothing. I heard nothing. Only the sound of a smashed keyboard. It was like I'd never written a song before. I would go years of what felt like forcing myself to try and play music. And I just thought I couldn't ever do it again. And so I walked away. But now I started to think back even further. How did all of this happen? The recordings of Weekday Weekend? Well, let's rewind and bring it back to 2013, a couple weeks after the accident. I had used my iPad to create songs to help rehabilitate my brain, keep my mind sharp, and give myself something to do. However, making these songs, focusing so hard on recording, I then regressed in my recovery, and it felt like I broke my brain all over again. And I never thought I, or the album, would see the light of day ever again. Listening back to these songs I'd written during that first month of amnesia, I was singing about Nate and everything around me. I was leaving breadcrumbs about what was happening to me so I wouldn't forget. But after writing and recording those songs in 2013, no music came out of me. Well, almost nothing. Nothing audible. That little bit that did sounded like an eight or nine or 10 year old who wanted to be in a band and write songs, but just didn't know how. It sounded trite and forced and just bad. Then in 2018, music just came flooding back in a way that it never had before. And just like art meant something different to me now, the ways in which I thought about art and the world around me, something clicked. And so I just assumed I was only a visual artist and photographer now. I was thinking and creating differently. The way I was thinking about my place in the world around me through art was something I would have never been able to do if it wasn't for the accident. It's like the concussion broke my brain in a good way. And I never would have seen the world this way if it hadn't. Something shifted in my brain. Conceptual compositions increased. I could hear 20, 30, 40 instruments at once and then create the track all on my own. Music came to me completely different now too, just like art had. And it sounded completely different now. My voice sounded different. The music I was hearing was now full in a way it never had been before. I pulled out my computer and I made a song called The Internet, which ended up being over a hundred tracks. 
And then I made one called Citadel with 86 tracks. And then I made a song called Drown It Out and 10 other songs. And I decided in 2019 to release what I'd been making, but realized for you to understand who I am now, you'd have to go back and listen to where I came from. Listening back again to those early amnesia recordings, I love them, but it doesn't sound like anything I've ever made before. It doesn't even sound like what I'm making now. My voice was different. The style was different. It's an artifact to show how one can grow from the ashes and rebuild from what feels like nothing. Shifting and changing is okay. To understand how I got here to these new songs, you'd have to hear that album I made during the thick of my concussion. And so I decided to release those tracks I made and call it Weekday Weekend. It's an album that says change is hard, but it's okay. Disability is okay. Fear is okay. The unknown is okay. And everything just takes time. Making that album broke my brain, but it also would be what eventually healed me. Weekday weekends signifies a time in my life when everything was scary and uncertain. It's an album I always come to with questions and I'm always shocked by the answers. But what is a weekday weekend? Well, weekday weekend is a little break in the middle of your week that in the blink of an eye can turn into a break in the middle of your whole life, creating a shift. Sometimes we don't always plan when we're gonna take a weekday weekend or where it's going to take us. We can't always control how moments are gonna shape us or where tragedy will take us. Just know that something always turns into something else. A song will sound like shit unless you keep working at it. And as much as I wanted to keep this record, this album Weekday Weekend, buried forever from total embarrassment, I just knew I had to explain where it came from and tell my story about it. I'll always have this artifact to remind me of who I once was and how I got through it. And I hope it's a little reminder that you can get through it too. I was holding this record, this artifact, weekday weekend, that I finally released in 2019. And now it all made sense. All the things I was singing about, this is where I came from. I was reborn from this record. In the year of 2022, I'm still picking up the pieces from those first few months in 2013 that shaped that entire year. How did this happen? I don't mean the lying or ending up like my mom. I mean, like, why wasn't anything done in the thick of it? Why didn't the doctors do anything? I asked my mother, could no one tell I had a concussion? Was anything off? And she told me that I was slurring my speech a lot, but my MRIs were clear. So what else could have been done? She thought it was just stress. I recall crying in doctor's offices 
unable to speak or read the signs to know where to go, crying in some lobby alone. I was so scared as to what was happening to me, what would happen to me. I asked my best friend Kit about it. She said she had to ask her boyfriend why I was suddenly acting like a totally different person, coming back from out of town witnessing someone foreign to her as her best friend. So she noticed, but other people didn't. I asked my other best friend Gina, who I had to meet over and over and over those first few weeks until I remembered that we were friends. I remember sitting uncomfortably on a sofa together, picking apart the clues, piecing together that she'd been in my house before. She knew where everything was and we had met before. Answering the door, letting in what felt like a total stranger into my house, but she was always warm and welcoming. So I went along with it. I couldn't remember the context until months later. We were friends who had just met right before the accident and she never gave up on me. She never doubted me. She could tell I was always a little scared and confused when she came over. She always assured me it was gonna be okay. And eventually it was. She told me she thought I was nicer now and it was extremely obvious to her as it is to most people who knew me closely before the accident. The subtle differences in ourselves, only the ones who love us most would notice. I would hear rumors how some people didn't believe me, how they didn't want to listen. And it wasn't until a year or so ago that I started to pull apart the threads as to where the rumors actually started. And everything came back to Nate. Almost a decade later, I'd find out it was him spreading the lies. I guess to cover up his cheating, he told his girlfriend he had to leave her because I was faking amnesia and that he had to care for me. This made her feel empathy for him, which is why they remained friends and why I found the text that essentially broke us up. Because even then, it just didn't make sense. But as someone who was once with Nate, I knew. He would say whatever it took to look like the hero. But it still doesn't make sense. The rumors at times even gaslight me. But no matter what I heard, only now did I think to just ask people, hey, where'd you hear that? And they would tell me. And I traced the threads from one person to another person, back again, to Nate. Nate had been telling everyone I was faking it. It's important to tell your own story, or others will do it for you. To this day, I have one thing to say. Believe women. I'm not here to play a victim because I'm not one. Just because things happen to you and you don't mind talking about them doesn't mean you're a victim or playing a victim. Just because something horrible happened to you, that doesn't mean you're faking it. We should stop being so afraid of vulnerability and talk more openly about our experiences. You never know when it might resonate and help someone else feel less alone or expose the truth. 
expose the truth of a totally broken system. But forgiveness, however, is important to those related to you or not, dated or not, even in ourselves. We all deserve forgiveness and closure. Anyone going through it, going through anything, being a kid feeling alone in their bedroom or grounded for something they didn't do, blamed for something they didn't do, or someone who is heartbroken and grieving and is scared and isn't sure where they're gonna end up next. If you're completely unsure of what's in store for your future, or if you're someone who's been isolated from an accident or even the pandemic, anyone who's been through something and is scared you can't get through it, just know that when you're in the thick of whatever it is, it will always feel like that. And if you're listening to this, no, you can get through it. Maybe if we all talked about our experiences, it could make someone else feel less alone in the world. Just remember to sit with your feelings, sit with your loneliness, your grief, whatever it is, and never give up. We never plan for it, but we all deserve a little weekday weekend. been listening to Dear Young Rocker, season four. We've got 12 episodes coming this season. Check back every Wednesday for new episodes on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts from. If you want to share your own Young Rocker experience, you can follow me on Instagram at Nadia Marie Forever. You can also follow us at Dear Young Rocker and at Double Elvis on Instagram. This season of Dear Young Rocker is written and hosted by me, Nadia Marie. Dear Young Rocker was created by and is executive produced by Chelsea Erson. The show is executive produced by Jake Brennan, Brady Sadler, and Carly Carioli for Double Elvis. Script editing on this episode by Chelsea Erson and James Sullivan. Production by Sean Cahalan and Leah Tatoris. Music for this episode was composed and performed by me, Nadia Marie. You can check out my music, Nadia Marie, on all streaming platforms. Thanks. We'll see you next week.